Welcome to the Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. That's the Advertising Show on a Father's Day, and uh, good afternoon. Happy to be with you, being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a big radio midgets production, and it's uh, Ray Shillings and, and uh, Brad Forsyth here. We have, uh, well, a whole bunch of good stuff going on today. Patrick Meyer, the Marketing Insider, Jonathan Margolis, Guerrilla Marketing for the 21st Century, Jeffrey Gittimer is with us again. Also, Andy Borowitz, and we couldn't get um, we couldn't get uh, into the show or through a show without talking about Tom Cruise and his uh, his goofiness that, that's going on as of late. So anyway, and the wacky world of marketing as well too. What are we doing this week, as far as good or bad? Good, good. Oh, good, that's good, right. Good. You said that. Okay, good. Yeah. And uh, let's see, John Fox. We almost forgot. John's waiting for us here. He'll be on the air in just a little while. The uh, president and founder of Venture Marketing, a marketing firm for growing companies. Uh, since uh, 97, he and his team have invested uh, entrepreneurial spirit, insight, and creative wit to help companies effectively jump hurdles in the sales cycle. So we'll have John on. He's in Chicago today where it's uh, not such a nice day as far as the weather goes. Apparently Chicago's getting hit with some rain or will be hit with some rain as we uh, get into the 4th of July. So there we go. And, you know, he's also author of the uh, Marketing Playbook, a manual for growing organizations, which was really the, the big attraction uh, to have him on the show this week. And, uh, gosh, i got to tell you, Ray, if, you are a, uh, if you're looking for a, a, a primer on uh, some f- good foundational information, good, good uh, marketing basics, this book, uh, 102 of the Best Marketing Plays to Get Your Team uh, sales team across the goal line. It's very well written. It's very easy to understand. And, you know, even if you're an ad uh, and marketing pro and you want to revisit the uh, some of the fundamentals that you may have uh, perhaps gotten away from over the years, this is a great book for, for them as well. So uh, marketing playbook. Get right. your uh, game face on, right? Yeah, I guess we've got to put that uh, black stuff under our eyes, don't we? I already have mine. That's, that's true. That's, that's, you have just your mouthpiece ma- Just a matter of age. <laughs> <laughs> mascara. Oh. You're wearing mascara. You usually wear mascara. A little bit more than Michael uh, today, though. Uh, that's the way that's it goes. True. Uh, marketers are turning to consumers for direction. Well, what a concept. They used to call that focus groups. They have much more creative ways to touch consumers now. Procter & Gamble's Crest Division is inviting consumers to help select its next flavor of toothpaste by casting votes for their favorite from a list of options available on the company's website. Campaign is by a publicist group, and uh, Saatchi and Saatchi is just one example of consumers increased consumer participation in product marketing. I don't think there is a, such a thing as increased consumer participation. I think no. they've always counted on people to to uh, ascertain where a, where a brand is headed or how it's perceived. So mm-hmm. my vote, by the way, jalapeno. Jalapeno <laughs> toothpaste. Wouldn't that be delicious? Maybe maybe chipotle. Chipotle. Wouldn't that be good? Well, Or possibly is. margarita. You probably have <laughs> See where we're headed chips. with this? You'd have chips uh, right before you brushed your teeth, and exactly. it would be kind of a vicious circle. You'd just chips constantly and toothpaste. Yuck. You know, you mentioned uh, about brands and uh, well-known brands. Ray, what if I were to ask you to name name any one or two of of what's considered the top five brands uh, in in the uh, in the U.S. One of the top five brands in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, just one or two. What comes to mind? Uh, let's see, General Electric. Um, uh, let's. Uh, what else? Uh, well, go ahead. 
Is that well, one of them? I, I, GM would have been one of my guesses as well. In the United States. No, General America, Electric, I said. Oh, General Electric. Exactly. Well, the, either one of the G boys. But, uh, you know, i got to tell you, it was a surprise when I read this. The United States of America is the number one brand, brand. among Americans uh, out of 2,400 brands measured by YNR Brands Brand Asset Valuator. Uh, the other five, you, you, once you hear these, or the other uh, rounding out the other five, or the, I should say the other four, mm-hmm. uh, Coke, no surprise there. Yeah. Disney. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hallmark, that's a surprise for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. M&M's, would that be a surprise? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Certainly I mean, like well you, liked, I, yeah. I would have said GE, I would have said GM, I would have said Pepsi, some others. Uh, 7,000 consumers polled. Uh, in this particular survey, Ray ranked uh, the USA number one based on the following uh, attributes, dynamic, authentic, unique, straightforward, progressive, etc. Uh, what's interesting about this, the uh, perception of the USA, and, you know, you got to think about it. Uh, I, I don't know if, if I mentioned this to you off the air, Ray, but I wrote an op-ed piece and a, a, a highly uh, desirable tourism spot that I visited recently, and they have a problem with abandoned cars there. And I wrote an op-ed piece in and uh, basically saying, you know, your brand is your is your city here, and uh, by, by having these uh, abandoned cars strewn throughout your communities, mm-hmm. you're basically having a lot of people return to their homes saying, you know, maybe this, uh, maybe this resort uh, one-stop destination isn't all that it's cracked up to be, and it. And I, anyway, somebody else wrote back and said it's not a brand; it's a beautiful place to live. It's an island. Yeah, it's you don't get that. it, do you? Well, I got to tell you, it may be to them and and to those that live there, but for the consumer, the ones that are you know paying the taxes on the uh, on the restaurants and hotels, uh, it's a brand. And, it's no and, different you know, than Wendy's brand was tarnished by lack of uh, digits, and the other one is is Aruba. Aruba is having a big brand oh, yeah. problem right now. You know, no who, doubt. You know, hey, look, come to Aruba and don't come back. Right. Something like that. We got to we got to get into uh, before we take a break here, and also uh, bring up uh, John Fox, uh, Jonathan Margolis, another John. It's uh, it's uh, Jonathan Margolis, guerrilla marketing in the twenty first century. And now, it's time for Jonathan Margolis with Gorilla Marketing for the 21st Century. Keychains, perfume, breakfast cereal, branded rubber bands, dog food, and postcards. These are just a sampling of items we've handed out on the streets over the years. Chances are, someone, somewhere, handed you something this week, and you were probably happy to have received it. Sampling via street teams is one of the most effective forms of guerrilla marketing. It allows for one-to-one communication, the purest form of direct marketing. It literally puts the product directly into the hands of the consumer, letting them see it, touch it, try it, even taste it. Here are some friendly tips on how to run an effective sampling campaign. Make the piece small. The smaller it is, the easier it is to put away in a pocket or purse. Get a life. A shelf life, that is. Why hand something out that gives people no reason to hold on to it? Add a special offer or create an enter-to-win contest. Make people want to take it. Equally important to what's being distributed is who's doing the distribution. Someone standing there, expressionless and motionless, isn't going to make me come over and see what you've got. However, a friendly, attractive, outgoing individual who's dressed and trained in your brand, now that's a bit more inviting. For now, this is Jonathan Margolis for The Advertising Show, reminding you, it's a jungle out there. Be a gorilla. This has been Gorilla Marketing for the 21st Century, with your host, Jonathan Margolis, president of the Michael Allen Group. To learn more about Jonathan and his company, log on to michael-allen.com. 
It's the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and uh, we'll spend uh, the next couple of hours talking with John Fox. As we said, he's the president and founder of Venture Marketing. John began his career as a, a field sales engineer with Intel and then joined the upstart U.S. Robotics, where he directed the company's sales and marketing efforts, including the launch of the Courier Modem line, the world's top-selling computer modem. After a short assignment with Teltabs and Engineering Tools and uh, Telebit, John moved back to Chicago, uh, to start his own company, Venture Marketing. His first book, as Brad was saying, Marketing Playbook, uses the the language of American football to lay out 102 of the best marketing plays to get the sales team across the goal line. He's authored and been featured in uh, numerous publications, including Business Week, the Chicago Tribune, Sales and Marketing Management, National Business Association's Boss Magazine, Female Entrepreneur, Go figure that one. PC hmm. Week, E Week, and uh, My Business Magazine as well. So we've got John for the the whole two hours as well. So yeah. uh, marketing playbook. So as you said before, let's put our game faces on. Puts a little different spin on the uh, tight end. <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, you he, shouldn't he, say that. I don't know that. Uh, that's true. D- the the strange guy, the strange guy that does the uh, Six Flags. TV spots. Sure. Everybody knows him. A young man dressed up to look like an old man. Right. Mr. Six, they're calling him the wildly dancing senior citizen featured in the television campaigns of Six Flags. The amusement parks are meant to help shore up declining revenues and attract more visitors to the company's 30 North American theme parks. I I had no idea there were 30 of these things. So that's incredible. Uh, Mm -hmm. Donor, William B. Donor, I think it is. Is that right? William B. Out of Detroit? uh, Created the campaign. Agency chief Alan Coulter said the most says the mascot seems to capture everyone's feelings about what it's like to go out and play, and um, I suppose that could be true. But that's only half the story. You got to get people to enjoy it. So maybe there's a, a problem with the experience at the park these days. Although I can't really imagine that. Uh, you know, uh, we, uh, in the Houston market, we have uh, you know, Six Flags, uh, Astro World, and it's a, it's a great park. It's a nice park. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm wondering if there's something wrong with the experience. Uh, uh, of course, they certainly haven't um, uh, had a problem with raising their prices. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> and I wonder a, if that's part of the problem. It's an interesting concept, Ray, because it's an example of a great spot that cuts through the clutter. It gets yeah. noticed. People see it. Yep. But yet, uh, I don't think it's. Uh, it must not be delivering because of what you just described. It's, it could be, or maybe the market is changing a little bit. There's more. There's more out there, including we have in Texas Schlitterbahn, which is huge. Uh, so there's a lot of competition out there. Just a moment, we've got John Fox and uh, Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe back with more on the advertising show. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. From San Francisco comes... Rice Aroni, the San Francisco treat. Rice Aroni, the flavor can't be beat. One pan no boiling cooking ease. Just a, a, a late lunch with some rice aroni. It's It's... Just perfect on a Sunday afternoon on the 4th of July holiday weekend here with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Our special guest, by the way, is uh, John Fox. Uh, John is out of Chicago. He's the president of Venture Marketing at VentureMarketing.com. And he is also the author of a, uh, a brand new book. It's his uh, first book, actually, called Marketing Playbook. So uh, 
John is out of the uh, out of the, uh, the well. He's not out of the showers yet. He'll do that after the show, right? But <laughs> hey, John, welcome welcome to the advertising show. It's great to have you. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, and Ray and I are both wearing uh, striped vertical striped uh, shirts just out of uh, respect for your book. And Ray, go ahead and blow your, blow your whistle, Ray. My whistle. I don't do whistles, Brad. The whistle around your neck there. Hey, let's get the uh, let's get the shameless port plug portion of the show out of the way for John early. Uh, for real quickly, if you could, John. Although uh, uh, certainly Ray explained your background and your bio. Talk a little bit about venture marketing. What, what services do you offer your clients? It's a full service marketing firm, and we have keyed in on small businesses with uh, typically fewer than 500 employees. Um, we try to stay away from the micro-small, if you will, which is just a couple of employees, but really have focused on organizations that uh, typically are just getting started with a relatively small sales force and, and have uh, a modest uh, uh, budget set aside for advertising and, and other marketing. Yeah, well, that's interesting, and it's a great challenge for you, I'm sure, and your, your uh, staff and you must get a lot of uh of enjoyment out of seeing a company, one of your client companies, grow. I, you, it's mentioned in your bio that you're a graduate engineer at the University of Missouri in computer science. So, John, how in the world does an engineer end up with a marketing company? Now, I guess I must acknowledge that you do have an MBA from uh, Keller Graduate School of Management, but I, I guess is also a University of Illinois. Right. Uh, actually, uh, the the uh, my undergrad's from uh, University of Illinois, but I have uh, also spoken at uh, University of Missouri. Um, but, yeah, how did I get there? I interviewed at uh, Intel back in 1979, and they offered an opportunity to get into marketing, and all of the people in marketing and sales were engineers. And so it was a natural connection for me to work with a company that at that time was a relatively small firm. Wow. Well, that's a, that's, yeah, well, and, you know, don't tell everybody that it's fun being in marketing and advertising. I think it's crowded enough, don't you think, Ray? <laughs> Yeah, really. Uh, what, what advice? We were just air conditioning repair, John. That's your future, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm curious, John. What's your take on uh, entrepreneurs or small business owners uh, in terms of avoiding some of the burnout and other pitfalls that come with starting a new business? It can always be a, a big struggle. There are a lot of rewards if you can get it off the ground, but it's not an easy way to go. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think most people that get in that business are uh, technicians. They they enjoy it, they love it, they have passion for it. And I think the burnout comes when they recognize that there's more to do than just make the product. And I think, uh, you know, your your guest you had on several weeks ago, Gerber, talks about it, that and Emith, and those are great resources for people to remember that um, there's a lot more than just making the pies, as he talks about, or whatever the product is. But uh, soon their their focus has to turn to customers and to selling, and that is generally not something that's natural for the people that are the inventors and the entrepreneurs. Well, the, you, you you said that so right, and, and you're right. It was a guest a few weeks ago that said the same thing. If you're thinking about starting a business, it's uh, it's out there. Wait, wait a while. <laughs> yeah, sit down before the let uh, the let seizure the pass. pass. Yes. No, you know, and if you're good at what you do, you got to also be good at uh, running a business. It's a twofold process there, as we all know. Uh, real quickly, a little less than a minute left here. Last year, your company created a national uh, marketing makeover contest designed to showcase the importance of branding for entrepreneurial organizations. Talk a little bit about this and, and how you came up with the idea. Well, the idea was right in front of us with all of the makeover shows, so it was a natural. The spin that we had is that we teamed up with a magazine that was reaching female entrepreneurs. And we 
held a contest where we had an opportunity to work with them and develop their brand, but it was for small firms. It was for firms that we knew that if we did our job right, it was going to have an effect on their top line, which is where we focus our, our attention. And uh, the results were terrific. We actually had two winners. Um, we we couldn't decide between the two that were had the top uh, top votes by a tie. And so, so we you flipped a coin, right? Is that what you did, John? Hey, we got to take a break here on the advertising show. John Fox is our guest out of Chicago, the author of Marketing Playbook and the president of Venture Marketing. And we'll have John not only for this hour. And uh, we'll have them for next hour as well. Seeing that this is a syndicated radio show, we can use fireworks on the show, too, which is wonderful. I think that's legal in most states. Back in just a minute. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. It's the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Never borrow money needlessly, but if you want some, they had some for you. So, hey, we've got uh, John Fox on the on the show today. Uh, the brand new book of John's is called uh, The Marketing Playbook. Before we get back to John, though, this is funny, Brad. Uh, did you? There's a. This is from CNN Money's this past week, and it says, and I didn't click here. <laughs> I printed it out, but I didn't click. It says, "Woman's woman finds finger in Applebee's salad." <laughs> now I don't know whether that's true or not. Come it's, up with uh, an original one. Yeah, exactly. Please, something else, please. Okay, but uh, Starbucks uh, has been doing some stuff. Starbucks sells uh, uh, their brand of ice cream under the uh, Dryers Grand Ice Cream brand in uh, some it. supermarkets, and they do that. And what they're doing is uh, their sales growth has slowed recently in, in the recent months. They were giving away a free ice cream this past week at more than six thousand of their U.S. coffee shops on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, and uh, basically what they wanted to do was reel in customers and consumers who might buy one of the chain's signature frothy drinks to enjoy with their free treat. So I don't know how that worked out. So, but, well, uh, or, make, or let your, make your teeth hurt from the coffee cold. Yeah, the freeze them and then bake them, right? right? But they've also added a line of uh, music CDs. Uh, that's been working to boost sales, established coffee shops. And uh, Starbucks, uh, the, their stock 15% this year down, in part because of investor concerns that say is that say its days of posting double-digit sales increases are over. Well, that could possibly be. But anyway, uh, giving away free stuff, McDonald's in February gave free samples of fried chicken strips for three days, and uh, competitors said it hurt their sales. Um, and Wendy's, of course, free fried frosty drinks uh, <laughs> to uh, surpass the finger in the right. chili issue. Uh, so anyways, uh, a lot of things going on this week. Uh, John Fox is, uh, the new book is, as we said, Marketing Playbook, and John is out of Chicago. John, welcome back to the Advertising Show. Thanks. Yeah, and uh, since this is a uh, four-part interview to this uh, hour and two next, I guess this would be the second quarter leading into the first half, right, Ray? Something like that, and uh, yeah. did you? I see you brought your tuba into the studio. You're not playing well, it, though, okay? Well, no, I'm warming up my mouthpiece. The uh, <laughs> let's get this out of the way quick here, John. Why, why did you decide on a sports or, or games kind of metaphor throughout your marketing playbook? It just came about natural in talking with clients because they they need bite size information that's very actionable. And so when you look at this, each play is laid off, laid out in one uh, page each. And it uh, 
states an assignment for each person on the team, which could be marketing or sales. It could be people in the executive suite. It could also be an administrator. And then lays out coaching points and any strategies and the all-important costs that no one ever tells you what anything's going to cost, but I lay out all of the costs for you that are the kind of things that a small business owner is going to run into when they decide to run a particular play. Well, and I joke around, Ray, and I joke around because that's what we do. But I, I must tell you, uh, if you if you want to check out a book that is just makes just that, it's very well laid out. It has mm-hmm. real world examples. You mentioned Starbucks, Ray. They highlight the Starbucks card on the play number forty one. Uh, they show Google and how to uh, do some online things there. They talk about uh, many different uh, great marketing uh, concepts and ideas that are uh, well worth the read and well worth cool. the. Uh, what do we have here? Thirty-seven ninety-seven. That's a strange price. Anyway, it probably rounds up to forty, I guess, with tax. In any event, it's a great book, marketing playbook. John and Fox are our guest today. I noticed that uh, you have uh, many assistant coaches and vendor references throughout the one hundred and two marketing plays in your book. Several have been on the advertising show: Jay Levinson, Seth Godin, Jeffrey Gittimer. Uh, curious, uh, how did you get these experts to contribute to your book? Did you play off their ego, or did you pay them off, John? <laughs> Uh, great question. No, didn't have to offer any kind of payment. I think we're all after the same thing. And it, all of the assistant coaches and the vendors are people that recognize that if we can uh, give that good good information to an executive that allows them to make the decision, and, uh, you know, obviously being a part of this book helps them, it helps us, and it helps the customer. So it's, it's very much a win-win. Well, and it's uh, those kinds of uh, experts are just examples of the contri- contributors that you've uh, pulled together for this book. I notice that your book is divided into four main categories, thinking, reaching, engaging, and keeping. Talk a little bit about uh, how you came up with the idea to organize this, the book. In this book. Well, th- this all goes back to getting sales and marketing people on the same team, as I like to say. And there's all sorts of uh, good examples and bad examples of when sales and marketing don't talk to one another. And so I tried to define a, a very simple, if you will, a flow chart of how a sale happens from the very beginning to the, the thinking of who is our customer to the, uh, the reaching, which is the outreach mechanism that you may use. And then uh, the engaging is once you meet those customers, how do I move them down the field, if you will, to score points? And then lastly, how do I keep them? How, and that is, of course, the, the the best thing you can do is keep your customers uh, happy and sold and that they want to come back for more. You know, it's an, it just blows me away how many uh, uh, marketers out there on the client side think in terms of engaging before they think in terms of their objective and who they're reaching and all of that. And we're going to talk more about that in detail next hour. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your the sales and marketing department reference that you make in your book and how often – they uh, fight among one another. We've heard this over and over on the show. Uh, and in the words of Rodney King, why can't we just all get along here, John? <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was true, but, you know, it, it, it's really a Venus and Mars thing where sales and marketing don't even have the same language. So what one person is going to call, let's say, uh, it, 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 for example, a marketing person or an advertising person might call, I need copy. Well, copy to a salesperson means nothing. In fact, that might mean go to the copy machine and do something when we're really asking for the text of an ad or for a headline. And so what I, again, try to do in this book is to define those terms as a glossary in the back so that at the very basic, sales and marketing people can um, 
can look at a play and can determine what their assignments are. And, you know, all of a sudden they start recognizing that they need to work together. And it's all about revenue generation. So if we keep talking about that, we're fine. Yeah, and, you know, you say uh, uh, Venus and Mars as two distinct uh, planets from these two groups. We like to say that uh, advertising people are from heaven, sales managers are from hell. Uh, of course, the idea the idea there is, unfortunately, a lot of salespeople and sales management level people really, I think, sometimes look for advertising and marketing to do more than it really is capable of doing. Has that been your experience? Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, vice versa is also true, where marketing is going to assume that sales is going to naturally take leads and turn them into revenue, and it doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. And there's many steps between the time of understanding who your customer is to the point that they actually become a customer, that marketing and sales need to break those down to the various steps and decide who needs to do what when. Yeah, and you're exactly right. And I guess a, a good, smart marketing guy, and Ray and I consider ourselves too, you deliver the uh, you deliver the prospective consumer, and some buy, some don't. What happens after you deliver them is really up to the uh, both the customer and the sales force. And sometimes they're good quality uh, qualitative leads, and in other cases, people are just showing up and maybe not qualified because the marketing is off strategy. So it is a twofold uh, effort there. I, I, I'm curious. Uh, we have about uh, I guess four minutes left in this segment. We've got time for a few more uh, questions here. In, in, in today's internet connected voicemail time compressed world that we all live in, is it possible that traditional methods of marketing uh, and sales, for that matter, are, are making a strong comeback in this environment? Uh, I absolutely. In fact, one of my most favorite um, plays, if you will, is direct mail. Um, with spam and email blocking going on, and in fact, I'm sure all of your listeners have had emails not get through, there is a resurgence to print media. And, uh, and of course, the Internet now has allowed us to take that technology and use it in the creation of print uh, collateral. So you have companies like, uh, and I cite this, Amazing Mail is one. Uh, there's many others in my book that allow you to do the design online and and publish as few as one postcard, which is terrific, and it's enough to break through at least some of the clutter that uh, that a, an executive may have. So are you not a fan of any kind of online marketing effort, or are you just suggesting that uh, direct mail is more effective than the quote-unquote email? Uh, actually, I think it varies based on who you're selling to and... and uh, and your budget particular, and I don't think any one tool is is going to be enough. But I, I do see that there is a return to some of the more traditional media because email is just not being delivered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm certainly not saying get away from it. I love email, but uh, it has its place, as does direct mail and any other kind of media. Mm-hmm. I guess that's back to defining your market and determining your objectives and determining, I guess, which media best and most effectively reaches your target. I that's right. All those things that most people don't want to do, the hard work yeah. up front. Well, it just goes to show you, Ray and I would make great clients if we had some business that we could advertise, but unfortunately we don't. Well, uh, we, if, if we believed in advertising. Yeah, right, if we believed in it, yeah. Also, I like the uh, product placement, John. Thanks for throwing in the amazing mail uh, name. That was nice. That's true. Uh, that's product. true. That was a nice little. He snuck that plug in. <laughs> Ironically, we work with Cisco Food Services, and that's one of their vendors. So I was like, right? hey, I know those people. Oh yeah, that's good people. Good people. Yeah, 
You know, Ray and I equate sales as nothing more than just uh, good communications. If you communicate uh, the value prop and explain your thinking behind your ideas or concepts, it should be a fairly simple uh, process of achieving a mutual level of understanding. Is suggesting that sales is all about just simply communicating, as I described it, is it too naive of a perspective, uh, or is, is this just oversimplifying it? What do you think? That that oversimplifying sales is uh, is just engaging and communicating. I think that uh, sales does boil down to that, and mm-hmm. and then being able to understand what it is that you're selling, and and that you understand the need of it or the desire for that product or sales, uh, uh, by the, uh, the by the customer, you're you're home free. But mm-hmm. uh, most organizations don't spend enough time teaching their salespeople what those features and benefits actually mean. So therein lies some of the problems. So, Ray, would you like to see? Uh, would you like to get together in the morning or the afternoon? And is Tuesday better or Friday Please. you prefer? And that's when I hang up the phone, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're in sales out there and you're listening and you've read a sales book uh, lately and you're trying to take the top ten sales techniques, you need to kind of fold that in to kind of make it sound real as opposed yeah. to you know. I, I like I like the phone calls that we get from time to time. I have something really important I want to share with you. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I just want to share it with you. And yeah. would Tuesday or Thursday be better? Yeah. Who am I well, doing? Yeah. And, and we'll be the judge of whether it's uh, very interesting or not, right, Ray? That's exactly right. Yeah. Tell me what you want, and, or, and I might call you back. Yeah. You know, uh, John, your, your book, uh, Marketing Playbook, uh, looks very similar to uh, the advertising show regular Jeffrey Gittimer's uh, Little Red uh, Book of Selling. Do you, do you feel that most marketing books use too much industry jargon when it comes to uh, trying to get their points across? Well, this one in particular aimed at most of the readers don't know much about marketing, and they may know even less about selling. So uh, I tried to stay away from some of the jargon. And I do find that many marketing books do err on the side of throwing out concepts and, and, uh, and nomenclature that no one's ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And I've really tried to stay away from those things. And, in fact, even the selection of a football metaphor is helpful that uh, that people understand, at least in America, they understand football and that it's broken into quarters and so forth. We're going to have to take a break here, John. And good news is we get you back uh, next hour as well here at the Advertising Show. John Fox the author of Marketing Playbook, and we get into the halftime uh, break here, right, yeah. of the interview, and back with uh, the third quarter and the fourth quarter as well. With just a minute, uh, we've got good advertising on the way, too, on The Advertising Show. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Schillens and Brad Forsyth. You know me. Would you believe I'm Bugs Bunny? I'm also the voice of many other cartoon characters. But in here, they don't care if I'm Elmer Fudd. So I carry an American Express card, the one card I need for travel and entertaining, for business and pleasure. But without this, the only way I'd get any attention is by saying, that's all, folks. Well, they've been doing advertising for a long time. It seems to be working. You know, they've got a relatively decent brand. What do you think, Brad? 
I think they, they do, as a matter of fact. But uh, anyway, we have uh, the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and we'll get uh, John back on the air next hour for us as well. Uh, Patrick Meyer joins us next hour. Jeffrey Gittimer is going to be with us. Andy Borowitz as well, too. But right now, what we do is we take this opportunity in this segment of the show to look at the good side and the bad side of advertising. Believe me, there's plenty of both out there, folks. This week it just happens to be good. And now it's time for the Advertising Show's Advertising Showcase, an outstanding example of on-target advertising for the good stuff. Here's Ray and Brad. So what are we looking at this week, Brad? Well, you know, I've got, I have next week's uh, Advertiser Showcase completed because I'm going to take this week's and put it into next week's, uh, and we'll deal with that next week because I came across... Okay, now we're all totally confused here, but go well, go right ahead. It has to do with rum. That's why I'm confused. In this week's uh, Ad Age, <laughs> the June 27th issue, uh, I came across a series of ads, of course, all for the same advertiser. Makes sense. Uh, that just so jumped out at me, I decided we just really need to talk about this in the few minutes that we have left in this segment. And uh, I'm just going to describe it for you. They're, they're full-page ads. They have very little copy on it, nice, big, bold graphics, but very little copy. I'm going to read it to you, and you'll see what I mean when I conclude this. It starts with one full-page ad. says, uh, which sports magazine reaches the most 18- to 34-year-old men? At the bottom it says, hint, it won a National Magazine Award this year. You turn the page. Again, editorial on the left, ad on the right. Mm -hmm. Which sports website reaches the youngest, most affluent, and most educated men? Hint, it won a 2005 Epi Award for the best Internet sports service. Turn the page. Which sports uh, magazine, which college sports magazine reaches the most 18- to 24-year-olds? Hint, it has a national distribution across more than 125 campuses. The fourth full-page ad says... The answer is here, Sports Illustrated, SI.com, Sports Illustrated on campus. At the bottom, we have a big SI logo in red. And, of course, we have their their line here, which is, we take you into the heart and soul of sports. So uh, in in addition to each one of those categories, Sports Illustrated, SI.com, and Sports Illustrated uh, on campus on the final full page, it has little uh, three-line verbiage underneath each of that that describes the numbers of of uh, 18 to 34-year-olds that they reach or the median age and income of uh, the SI.com traffic or the Sports Illustrated on campus uh, college uh, market that they reach. And just uh, it's, it's so well done, Ray. And I think what people uh, that look at magazines for advertising uh, miss and what we have here, I would guess, is a, a great example of SI getting with Ad Age and saying, hey, we'd like to do a series of ads, but don't, don't want it just anywhere because it's sure. right in the heart of the uh, viewpoint uh, section as well as the letters to the editor. And so a, a very highly read section of the paper. And they're, instead of buying, you know, a series of four full-page ads, they have a series of four ads running consecutively. And you can't read this publication without reading these ads. And after all, shouldn't that be the uh, the goal? Yeah, how well done is that? That uh, certainly well does done. deserve a... A pat on the back for the folks who put that together. It makes a lot yeah. of sense, too. And that, that crosses other boundaries as well in terms of, uh, you know, good radio creative or good television creative. What are you going to do with it after you get it done? Hopefully you've, yeah. you've spent some money on, on the creative, but what are you, how are you going to maximize the, uh, you know, the viewing or the uh, opportunity to hear it? And I think that's where a lot of people fall, fall short because they don't understand what's going on out there. And they don't understand, uh, you know, if you don't understand it, for goodness sakes, hire somebody. Get somebody who knows what they're doing to help you have a success as opposed to a failure. Right. And this is where you insert your phone number. 
No, I'm kidding. Yeah, you right. Don't do that. No, we don't do product placement. Thank you that's very much. True. That's but, true. But uh, we, we're going to have uh, th- th- that's a very good example. I like that. Hey, by the way, we didn't mention our website. That's product placement. The advertising show dot com is a great place to go to find uh, past guests and to listen to those shows as well. And uh, as we move, uh, you know, closer to the uh, the uh, the opportunity to uh, podcast these uh, uh, two hour shows, uh, that is coming very very soon as well. Too right. It's the advertising show dot com. We've got uh, John Fox back up uh, next hour with us, uh, the author of Marketing Playbook, president of Venture Marketing. Also, Patrick Meyer will join us. Jeffrey Gittimer will be with us. The value of business friends. Andy Borowitz on the way, too. Something about Tom Cruise or something like that. That's good. Advertising show brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe is a big radio midgets production. We'll talk to you next hour. Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe. Back with you and hour number two underway officially. This is the official second half of the advertising show. <laughs> Being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. Advertising show is a big radio midgets production. John Fox is in the locker room right now during halftime. And uh, he's the president and founder of Venture Marketing, also the author of a brand new book, his first book. It's called uh, Marketing Playbook. And uh, we'll have John on. I hope you caught the uh, first hour as well, but uh, if you didn't, you got some good stuff in store this hour as well. And we've got uh, Patrick Meyer on the way here in just a few moments, Jeffrey Gittimer, and uh, Andy Borowitz on Tom Cruise. Should be interesting. Hey, have you seen this um, television spot? According to, um, let's see. According to what's the uh, I, can't, I don't know what the the oh IAG research the list of most liked TV spots this month, and um, this is a spot for Hewlett Packard, and you've probably seen it. They certainly are playing it enough. It's PhotoSmart 375 TV spot featuring director sure. Francois Vogel uh, taking overlapping pictures of himself. Self mm-hmm. that is a cool cool spot, and it really, really does a, a, a real neat job of catching your attention. What's that music they use behind that spot? I don't know the name of the song. I really don't. It's very I just, catchy. Yeah, it is, and it's yeah. it's just so well done. Uh, this week, uh, this past week, uh, Hershey's Reese's Big Cup and Kleenex's Moist Cloths, uh, the top uh, spots on the uh, the IAG's list, and here's one that I haven't seen, or maybe I have, I just don't recall it. They're saying this is the most recalled TV spot, and uh, let's, see, uh, let's see if Doug recalls it as well. Red Lobster's Big Seafood Festival? I'm not oh. recalling that one. Do you? Well, you remember uh, Bob uh, Garfield really uh, gave them a hard time because he went to a Red Lobster based on seeing the TV spot. Yeah. He was amazed that the food wasn't any good. I could have saved him that trip. <laughs> could have gone to Applebee's for the salad with the finger. True. And and if you have that Hershey's that you mentioned yeah. earlier, you'd want one of those moist uh, towelettes or whatever you were talking about right after, wouldn't you? We would think so, yes. It was interesting that that followed the other, uh, you know, the other uh, ability, a recall index. Right. Ray, how much would you pay to have lunch with uh, Warren Buffett? How much would I pay? Yeah. You my, know Warren my, answer, my answer to that would be, Warren, I think you can pick up the tab, babe. Well, <laughs> well that's true. Last Thursday evening, one lucky bidder yeah. put it 
to the tune of $351,000 for lunch with Warren Buffett, of course, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. He, uh, Buffett holds an annual charity auction to benefit San Francisco's Glide Foundation every year. Therefore, the word annual. Hello. Uh, but the uh, auction uh, offers to the highest bidder and seven companions a lunch with Warren Buffett at a mutually agreed upon time, date, and place. Bidding began at $25,000. No mention, Ray, of whether it includes the tip or not. Probably not. Who's picking up the tab here? <laughs> like I said, if Warren would, uh, if Warren wants to pay, that'll be fine. What uh, kind of advice are you expecting for 351 Gs? I mean, what, what's, what's Warren going to tell you over lunch? He would probably ask you why you spent so much money on having lunch (laughs) with me. If I was going to bid for lunch, as we were talking about here just a few moments ago, it would have been with Jimmy Buffett because we could have gone flying as well, you see. Not Warren. Jimmy is much better. Margaritaville. Margaritaville. Yeah, Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, Let's see. Phone and cable companies sparring in ads. Well, that's a good thing. Because sparring is a good thing, right, between businesses. Advertising landscape increasingly dotted with uh, spots for telecommunications and cable companies vying to sell consumers on triple play packages, the phone, television, and Internet, which is not a bad deal. In other sectors, advertising budgets are contracting or at least moving away from the traditional forms of media. Uh, The battle between the cable and phone is fueling much of the growth in advertising. That was out of the New York Times this past week. Yeah, well, bundling services is nothing new, and I guess, uh, you know, why not? I mean, uh, consumers are willing to purchase that way, and it does make a a lot of sense to do that. You remember a few weeks ago, Ray, when we were talking about the General Motors' wildly successful campaign to offer employees pricing, employee pricing, I should say, to everyone that walks in the uh, dealership? Well, uh, this past June, uh, business for GM, 50%. Yes. 50%. Up 50% oh, really? over the same time last month. What's inter- A year ago, I should say. What's interesting about this is both Ford Motor as well as uh, Chrysler, uh, not Daimler Chrysler, the group, but Chrysler Group, uh, are both planning on following in after uh, GM's lead. They're wanting to make sure that uh, GM is going to continue it past the uh, uh, impending deadline in terms of that offer. But apparently competitors... Uh, were hurt uh, by GM's gains, especially in mm-hmm. three particular categories, pickup trucks, SUVs, and vans. And uh, those are very profitable categories for all car makers. But uh, what will be interesting is if they decide to uh, follow in, how they're going to be able to do a different version of uh, what we call the Me Too strategy. Yeah, you know, I certainly see. wouldn't want to be them and try to do that because I don't think they'll be successful at all. At, with yeah, or, or just make fun of yourself. W- what they had, we're going to do this month, but and shame on us for not doing it last month. And I suppose. I don't know. I don't know how you pull that off. I really don't either. It, it, it yeah. sounds like uh, it sounds like way too much of a copycat uh, strategy. John Fox is going to be with us here in just a few moments, author of uh, the Marketing Playbook, and uh, we'll have John for a couple of segments this hour. Right now, it's Patrick Meyer and the Marketing Insider on the Advertising Show. Welcome to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider featuring Patrick Meyer. Ever see such an obsession? It's kind of like the Wall Street Journal meets the Inquirer. All these different mega agencies fighting over gray advertising. Guess what? Who cares? Now, yes, if you work there, you do care. But what do marketers think about all this? Well, in a recent survey we did, 78% of CEOs and chief marketing officers said, mega agencies are more focused on their financial performance versus driving my business forward. That's a big problem. When all these agencies, mega agencies, are focusing on financial performance and acquisitions, and there's a deficit there is a perception with marketers that they're not having their needs met. 
I recently did an agency review for one of my clients. He said, give me a more progressive approach to selecting agencies. So as a marketer, I'm pretty aware of what's going on and where marketing is going. I believe I brought a different perspective to it. As we went through each of the agencies, we asked them to talk about their mega agency linkage. And what's interesting is everybody talks the standard game. We have all the resources that you need. We can dial them in no problem. Reality check, none of them in the final review had fully involved mega agency resources like they should have. And what I've seen working with my clients is that it's really painful to dial in other groups from other sections of the mega agencies. So my message to you as a marketer, understand what mega agencies bring to the party, and most importantly, understand what your client wants. Different agencies outside the mega agency, smaller ones, regional ones, it doesn't matter. We're looking for ideas, and the mega agency proposition brings little to the party. You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing. This is Patrick Meyer, CEO of Now, and remember, the marketing revolution has begun. For more, go to nowinc.net. It's the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Just a moment or so away from John Fox getting John back on the air. So I've been sucking pure oxygen during the breaks. How about you? You've been sucking pure oxygen? Yeah, you know how those football players on the side. Oh, that? Oh, I got the tie-in now. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, No thanks, I'll pass. And by the way, I just got an email, Ray. They said if you use some powder on that, that rash should clear up. Okay. That was, okay, mark that one off your list. You can't use that one next week, okay? No, well, we don't have any playbook. <laughs> That's right, God. exactly. Uh, this is Actually, interesting. We have a female next week. We're going to have to be on our you, best we better. Page. We better be, absolutely. Uh, this is out of the Boston Globe this past week. It says, uh, ad agencies have discovered that paying bloggers to promote the company's products and services is a cheap and personal way to reach approximately 37 million Americans who read the online journals. Uh, that's interesting. I think it's called payola. With the idea of paid product placement is to many bloggers uh, anti-ethical to uh, to the blogging enterprise. And I tend to agree with that. Marketers are finding out that multiple blog mentions not only build brand awareness, but can also improve the uh, the Google search rank as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Well, there's corporate, you know, there, we, we've talked about this for a few years now. There are blogs and then there are corporately sponsored covert pretend like blogs and when you do that it backfires on you especially if people find out uh, the blogger culture out there finds out that it's a uh, it's a covert effort on behalf of a company or a brand and so yeah and and if you are going to become a uh, a blogger that's willing to be paid off uh, Mm -hmm. now all of a sudden i don't think you're really a a true blogger anymore that's true word for it but we can't say what it is on the air (laughs) exactly but, uh, you know, m- m- more than half, this is an interesting uh, subject here coming out of adweek.com, uh, more than half of Internet users surveyed did not know the difference between natural search engine results and advertising listings. I, I find this hard to believe, but according to Harris I'm Interactive, well, I mean, don't you know the difference? I mean, you look at a Google and it's the things up at the top or on the far right side, those are the paid, and then the ones underneath that line are the are the real uh, the real delivery on the uh, search engine results? But anyway, according to the Harris Interactive uh, Interactive Survey of 2,000 internet users, it found that 56 percent of internet users said they did not know the difference between sponsored, meaning paid, mm-hmm. and natural or non-sponsored search engine result listings. Younger internet users, no surprise here, younger internet users were more likely to know 
which listings were ads, while 47% of 18 to 34-year-olds said they knew the difference. 62% of those 56 and older could not tell the difference. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Uh, you I don't know. They throw so many. They, they throw so many things at you, Brad. It's sometimes hard to tell what is, what isn't, and what's coming your way. Well, I use Google, so maybe they're just more upfront and clear. About it's it. quite possible. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Needless to say, it's an interesting opportunity for marketing, right? Exactly. Sure. John Fox, and the uh, the topic today is marketing playbook, and we'll be back with John in just a moment on the advertising show. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white It's The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. In just a moment, we're going to welcome back uh, John Fox to the show here. Interesting thing, there's a commentary out of the Chicago Sun-Times this past week about that jingle that we just heard, and it says uh, the advertising columnist uh, Louis Lazar is not a fan of the Crispin Porter Bogusky spot for Coke Zero reprising the 1971 ad Hilltop, which featured the memorable jingle, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. The new campaign slogan, Everybody Chill, Lazar writes, doesn't quite have the timeless ring. And he very well could be right. I've not heard the new spot. Have you, Brad? No, but could we uh, maybe bring Michael Jackson, set him back on fire for Pepsi as a little counter strategy there? If you set Michael Jackson on fire at this particular point in time, he would melt, but that's okay. (laughs) So John Fox is president of Venture Marketing. Uh, By the way, you can go to VentureMarketing.com to find out more about that. But what we're talking about this hour and last hour, and uh, hopefully you were with us last hour, it's called the Marketing Playbook. And if you were with us last hour, this would make sense to you. We now begin the third quarter. Welcome back to the show, John. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, you know, let's let's give a little sampling of this book because I, again, to all our listeners out there, I, I can't recommend it enough. Marketing Playbook, as you mentioned, Ray, by John Fox, our guest, uh, is an outstanding uh, primer for uh, great basic knowledge of, of marketing. But it goes much further than basics and fundamentals. There's some great wisdom in this book uh, uh, imparted by some very uh, well-known experts experts in the business. Uh, in, in your book, you clearly define that uh, customers, uh, we all certainly recognize the importance of uh, clearly defining your customer when it comes to developing a marketing or advertising campaign. But you also mentioned that you should be able to recognize the difference between a real prospect and a fake one. What, what do you mean by this, John? Well, I think uh, we've all wasted a lot of our time, and certainly our salespeople waste a lot of time calling on the wrong people. And, and the fake ones are the ones that we know in our gut are really never, ever going to buy from us. And if they do, it's going to be something relatively little compared with all the time necessary. And then there are others who are, if we spend enough time and develop the relationships with them, we know that they'll come back for more. And that's what I really say the difference between a fake customer and a real customer. Yeah, and, you know, you you do give uh, the ten rules of business development, and we're going to go back and forth and touch upon a few of these as we uh, go on into this segment and next segment. But you you mentioned determining the value of what you're selling and who uh, that value is important uh, to in particular, I guess, uh, obviously that being your customer. How do you determine that? Well, to me, it's all about getting out in front of the customer and listening and getting reaction. 
And then also having a, a reality moment with your engineering or whoever may be making your product and recognize what you actually have to offer. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about my experience at U.S. Robotics, and when I started there, we really didn't have much of a product to speak of, but we had a, uh, a very low-cost product, and it allowed us to build products for other people way before we actually had a brand name developed. So it came to understanding the value uh, of what we actually had and who actually needed that at that particular time. Yeah, and, and another one, well, that's a good point. Another one of your rules is that you uh, need to understand uh, from a sales and marketing perspective, uh, you know, whose pain or what pain, I should say, uh, you're solving and look for new places where this pain happens to show up. Right. Again, staying with the, uh, the sports uh, metaphor there, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I think we all want to be selling aspirin versus vitamins, and uh, that's what I keep thinking is, how can I make my solution and my product a, uh, a salvo for someone's pain rather than being in the vitamin business? And when you look at all of the money that people in the United States in particular spend on tranquilizers and painkillers, uh, it's a good metaphor to follow. And, uh, and that's one that I really believe that you can take almost any product and turn it into a painkiller, but it does require a little bit of creativity, especially from your advertising and marketing folks. Hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and I said another way. I thought you were going to go, and maybe you are saying this. I, I think most services and most products today uh, solve some kind of problem, whether it's a perceived problem or, or, or an actual problem. And uh, if you can figure out how to put that in some kind of form, be it a sales pitch or a marketing uh, message, I guess that's uh, really the the trick. And a lot more of these uh, ten rules of basic development will hold for next hour. And Ray, I just don't know what else to say. Probably, uh, we'll be, say this, Brad, we'll be back. We'll be back. In just a minute. In just a few minutes. With more, no, I said just a minute. (laughs) With more of the advertising show. Very good. Advertising show. (laughs) This is Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and we're enjoying our conversation today with John Fox, and we will be back in just a minute. Inform decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is the Advertising Show. And in the fourth quarter of the game, it'd probably be a good idea to dab on some old spice or something like that, right? This is the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. John Fox, our guest out of Chicago this weekend, and uh, thanks for uh, joining us and taking time out of your weekend, too, John. We appreciate having you here. The book is called uh, The Marketing Playbook. Before we get back to our interview with uh, with John, though, what we want to do is check in with uh, Jeffrey Ginnimer here on the Advertising Show. Quick takes on sales and customer relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. Having moved from the north, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to the south, Charlotte, North Carolina, has helped me understand the value of business friends. They're much easier to establish in the south, and they're much more loyal. If you're friends with your best customer, it will often eliminate the need for price checking, price negotiating, and delivery time demands. 
And there's another huge bonus to being friends. Competition is eliminated, Billy Bob. Your best competition couldn't blast you away from a customer who's also a friend, Bubba. I'm often in conventions where someone is lamenting the fact that they can't get into around or around the so-called good old boy network. That's the biggest bunch of baloney and the lamest sales excuse I've ever heard. All the salesperson is saying is he has failed to bring anything of value to the table and he's failed to establish a relationship or make a friend and someone else has. You can only earn a commission using a sales technique, but you can earn a fortune building friendships and relationships. Quick takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks. That's Jeffrey Gittimer, and it's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show with our special guest. Uh, for one final segment here, we've got John Fox, author of the uh, brand-new book called Marketing Playbook, and this is indeed the fourth quarter. John, uh, hey. thanks for uh, being on the Advertising Show. Of course. Welcome Love back. It. Yeah, and a lot of great endorsements uh, written for his for his book, Ray. Uh, we've got uh, Guy Kawasaki from Garage.com, well-known uh, technology guru out in Silicon Valley. Al Reese, who is commonly known as Laura Reese's father. Uh, no, uh, no, Daddy. 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 That's true. Yeah. We had Laura Reese on the uh, show, what, two, three years ago? Yes, we did. And when we asked her what is the most uh, surprising thing our audience would uh learn about you today during the interview. It was a closing question we had. Do you yeah. remember the answer, Ray? I certainly do, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> you don't think we should say it? No. All right. Well, send us an email. We'll tell you what mm-hmm. she said. Uh, that way we'll, re- we'll at least remain on the air, air for another few minutes here. That's true. Uh, a few months ago, John, we had the uh, had Arthur Rubenfeld, who is the former EVP of Starbucks on the show, and he talked about how to successfully expand and grow one's business, since he was very much involved in that with Starbucks expansion. Uh, since you work with a lot of uh, newer companies, smaller companies that are certainly in a growth mode, I'm, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on rapid expansion of one's business? What, sh- what should one be looking out for, and, and how do you keep your company on track in those kind of circumstances? Uh, a lot of that comes back to understanding what it is that you're selling. You know, I, I think of marketing especially as just uh, three basic things. You know, the, the top of the cake if you will, is uh, what is it you're selling, and the, the next layer is how do we sell it, and the third is how do we paint it, what's the color, the fonts, and, and all of that. And if you can continue to focus on that top, uh, that outer layer, if you will, of uh, what are we selling and understand who that's important to, you're going to be well on your way. You know, it's it's been said that uh, a lot of advertising today, not necessarily for any particular size of company, just is really more of a your opinion, uh, John, that we're looking for here. Uh, what's been said that, that advertising lacks any level of uh, real risk-taking today, whether it be it on the agency side or the client side. Do you, do you agree with that? Um, well, perhaps risk by way of, of message because we're overly concerned about hurting other people's feelings. But I think that uh, risk by way of trying some things out, testing new media, I think I see that uh, all the time. I think that uh, you may not see it as often in the mainstream media because so many people are testing um, different mechanisms and different ideas that uh, that may not make the front page news. 
Well, that's interesting you say that. We had a uh, we had the former uh, CMO of Nike on, uh, and he said when we asked him about uh, testing, he said a lot of people at, at his level at Nike uh, 10 years ago when they were really doing some outstanding advertising, not that they still aren't, but it was unusual at that time, uh, he said that they really didn't test their advertising. They actually just had a sense of what would work and what would resonate with their customers, and they went with it. And I asked him how often uh, he felt uh, an ad would never make the light of day had he tested it, and he said probably about 60% of the time. So although testing is something that's important, I think in today's world, uh, sometimes you've got to just go with your instincts, and if you understand your audience and your uh, target market, sometimes uh, good common sense uh, and an understanding of who your who your customer is will uh, outplay any kind of uh, testing uh, time and time again. Who's responsible for creating mediocre advertising then if we know that there is a lot of mediocre advertising out of there? Uh, is it is it the client or, or the ad agency that's the responsible for this? Oh, I think it's uh, we're, we're both culpable. Uh, you know, good advertising requires that there's a terrific relationship between the, the client and the agency. And uh, the guidance is given by way of the account team. And when that relationship is working well, we get great advertising. And uh, when that relation falls apart or when we all start playing a little too safe, then we get into trouble. Yeah, well, that's that's well said. Uh, Ray and I have talked about this. We think that ultimately if the client's going to be the one that approves the advertising, you can bring them uh, great advertising or mediocre advertising, and the client either rejects rejects the great advertising and asks for mediocre or, or embraces mediocre or sticks their neck out and says, you know, let's take a chance. This is unusual and uh, and do something unusual, and, and many times uh, sees a, a big windfall as a result of sticking their neck out back to that risk issue. issue. But we'll, we'll lay it off on the client because we think ultimately they're the ones making the, the final call. You you, uh, you talk a little bit about in your 10 rules of business development, uh, you suggest that no one, uh, you, you suggest to find something that you can do that no one else is doing. Now, that seems like a tall order in today's world, especially in today's crowded marketplace. Some have suggested today's consumer has actually too many choices uh, in various product categories, and actually uh, more choices are working against uh, purchase activity. So coming up with a unique product, John, I would I would think in 2005 or a unique service might be uh, quite a challenge. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think some of that comes down to categorizing it and messaging it in such a way so it sounds unique. Um, you know, a good friend of mine shared a terrific uh, quote from Jerry Garcia, which uh, generally not known as one of the greatest marketers, but of the Grateful Dead, you might know. He said, uh, we didn't want to be the yeah, best at what brand. we did. We just wanted to be the only one to do what we did. Hmm. Well, that's yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Tom Cruise just sent an email, and he said, uh, "Ray, you have no idea what you're talking about." He That's just exactly to right, that yeah, you. Tom. Uh, back on your you, Paxil, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, John, you you also mentioned, and I really like this idea. You, you say, "Give away free advice." You know, Ray and I have talked about this uh, frequently here on the show. I mean, think about it. If you're in the business of marketing or marketing services or, or giving counsel. Uh, from an advertising and marketing standpoint to clients, uh, how how other way is a, a client going to get into your head and understand your thinking unless you're willing to share with them how you think and how you look at marketing and advertising strategy, et cetera? So uh, expound a little bit, if you would, on uh, the idea behind giving away free advice. Well, I think it all comes down to customer evangelists and giving them what they need in order to, to help 
uh, propagate your message, what you're doing. I, I think that uh, Seth Godin has made uh, a, a career out of teaching people the value of sharing uh, information and teaching people what you do. Because if you do, if, if what you're doing is truly unique and you have passion behind it, no one can duplicate it. And then, in fact, is uh, the whole idea of customer evangelist too. Yeah, Seth Godin, by the way, you mentioned author, author of uh, Purple Cow, an outstanding book, uh, also uh, author of All Marketers Are Liars. Apparently he did interview me and you for that, didn't he, Ray? I think so, yeah. Exactly. Uh, there you go, lying again. The uh, And Seth, you know, are you friends with Seth, John? I just that he was kind enough to give me a great endorsement, and, and my communication with him is, is limited to that. But I've been in his fan club for a long time, so I, I feel like I'm in his head. Well, if we talk to Seth, we'll mention the kissing there. So that's very nice. <laughs> exactly. uh, but we had, we had Seth on the show here a few years ago, and he's a, a great author and an outstanding book, uh, Purple Cow. I can't recommend that enough. Uh, but he is a guy that I think uh, Ray could use to increase his uh, milligrams on his Paxil. <laughs> we're talking about Seth or Tom? I'm talking about Seth. Uh, yeah. Okay, then. Seth's oh, a guy and, that, and Yahoo picked up on that, too. They had their purple couch, purple chair, yes, whatever it was. Exactly there it right. Was, yeah. He was a big fan of uh, Seth as well. As well, yeah. You know, uh, just in the few minutes that we have left here, uh, curious, John, if you could give someone listening today, let's say they're a small to mid-sized business owner, just one piece of advice about how to successfully market their company, what, what would it be? I would say truly understand how your customer comes to know you, comes to buy from you, and uh, get your sales and marketing team to sit down and map it out for you. It does not take... Uh, rocket science here, but everything you do that the salespeople are doing, the marketing people sh- should all be lining up for re- revenue generation. And how often we see small businesses just uh, naturally gravitate to some things that they've seen work at other companies, and yet it's not what their sales team or what their marketing team's asking for. Well, it's well said. And, you know, a lot of books out there are philosophy and strategy books, and there are the how-to business books. And your book certainly is an outstanding how-to uh, business book because you really get into some uh, outlines, blueprints, uh, ways of understanding exactly what you're trying to uh, put forth in your, what was it, 106? Uh, 102. 102. Well, maybe it will be 106 by the time the show's over here, right? Let's hope so. But, yeah, let's yeah, come up with uh, a few quick. Uh, yeah, uh, if you could only choose one, John, what would it be in terms of the biggest mistake you see salespeople making today? Salespeople making? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly selling things that don't exist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you're talking about people that call on Ray. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is obviously making promises that their products can solve and that their products actually can't do, and that's where the biggest problem comes in. Uh, yeah. That's, well, and that's that says, says something for knowing not only uh, who your who your prospect is, but knowing the product or service that you're selling. Uh, any outstanding uh, salespeople that come to mind that you've had an experience with that we might know by name? Um, well, I think one of the best that I've ever worked with is John Doerr. John Doerr was my office mate when I started uh, at Intel. He went on to um, join Kleiner Perkins, and you know, well-known person, and uh, probably one of the best salespeople I've ever seen truly understood the product, whatever he was selling, and uh, could communicate that very clearly and succinctly to the client. Yeah, and Kleiner Perkins, of course, an extremely well-known venture capitalist firm, and uh, uh, Doerr being one of the more outstanding venture capitalists himself, made a lot of uh, 
a lot of great calls back in the technology days of 2000, 2001, also back in the 90s. And uh, uh, what's he still doing working anyway? He, he doesn't need to work. We need to take uh, a break here and yeah, say well, goodbye to John. Thank John, you, uh, yeah. listen, if you've got the, the things like the Gerber series and the Godens, uh, you need to get this one as well. It's Marketing Playbook, as uh, uh, John Fox, the author. Go to VentureMarketing.com to find out more about that. And, John, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. This is the Advertising Show with Ray Shellens and Brad Forsythe. Back for one more segment in just a moment. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe. Here's to good friends, tonight is kind of special, the beer will pour, must say something more somehow, so tonight, tonight, tonight let it be Lord Brown. It's the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth, and considering the fact that we've just finished the game, I think this is an appropriate commercial, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I saw this uh, last, uh, what is this? It's Chicago Sun-Times. they got a bunch of good stuff this week. Greyhound has launched a print, and I don't know whether you've seen it or not, a print Mm -hmm. TV and radio campaign titled, We've Elevated Everything. (laughs) To to me, that would be, what did you do, raise your rates? To support the overhaul of its bus service between Chicago, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis, developed by the Richards Group of Dallas, the campaign plays up the company's New buses, which sport upgraded interiors, exteriors, and corporate logos redesigned to appeal to young and ethnic riders, traditionally uh, Greyhound's most frequent riders. Hmm. We've elevated everything. You know, why they don't get that uh, wacko girl, Jennifer, whatever her name was, that's out of Atlanta, that uh, uh, not Atlanta, but out of Georgia, that uh, flew the coop on her wedding a few weeks ago. Why they don't get her as a spokesperson? As a spokesperson? So she took a bus oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, to, the, uh, the missing bride. And of course, are we gonna are we gonna stump? Uh, uh, are we gonna be able to stump Doug on uh, get, coming up with the last name of the Jennifer Wacko lady from Georgia? Jennifer, is it Willis? Willis? What is it? What you talking about, Willis? Well, he no, can't think, think of it. this. Well, He's been in the go. sun too long today. And in the Houston area, the sun is much too hot, you see. Hey, so, hey, Ray. Yes. I think your punk's gone out. My what? Your punk. My punk? Yeah, with those lady fingers sitting right there to your side. Oh, oh that. Oh, firecrackers. Okay. I was trying to yeah. figure out, what are you talking about? A punk, man. Isn't, no. that, isn't that what they still call them? Punk? I don't know. I That's don't what know. you use to light your firecrackers. Oh, I know they're, uh, they're illegal they're in my neighborhood. In neighborhood. Exactly. <laughs> we have, we have uh, you know, Tom Cruise, speaking of wackos, um, has been up, at, up to it again, basically. Well, no, not necessarily, but according to Andy Borowitz, this is the icing on the cake. Hi, this is Andy Borowitz for The Advertising Show. And now, here's this week's feature from The Borowitz Report. Actor Tom Cruise stunned the worlds of cinema and space travel this past week, bidding Earth farewell forever as he returned to his planet of origin. At a launch pad on the outskirts of Malibu, constructed specifically for his intergalactic journey, Mr. Cruise spoke briefly to friends, well-wishers, and Larry King, who was covering the launch for CNN. Farewell, Earthlings, Mr. Cruz told the crowd. My work here is done. Then the actor engaged in a 20-minute kiss with his fiancée, Katie Holmes, whom he said he would send for later. 
Boarding the spaceship, Mr. Cruz delighted the crowd with the thumbs-up gesture he immortalized in the film Top Gun, then told them, I feel the need for speed, before disappearing into the stratosphere. While many had expected Mr. Cruz to return to his own planet at some point, the timing of his departure took many by surprise, coming as it did on the eve of the debut of his summer blockbuster, War of the Worlds. Executives of Paramount Pictures, who produced the film, expressed concern that Mr. Cruz's departure from the solar system would limit his availability to appear on the late-night talk shows. But according to Buddy Slants, a veteran talent agent and observer of the Hollywood scene, Mr. Cruz's decision to return to his planet before the film's opening may be a masterstroke. If Tom Cruise wanted to do something to make himself more popular, leaving Earth forever was a great place to start. This is Andy Borowitz, and this has been a special edition of the Borowitz Report from the Advertising Show. To read more reports or to receive daily email alerts, log on to borowitzreport.com. This is Andy Borowitz saying, keep it fake, baby. And uh, speaking of Borowitz and speaking of Mr. Cruz and, and then the thing going around with uh, Brooke Shields as well, uh, she was saying that you know she, t- she had postpartum depression and she was saying that Cruz was nuts. <laughs> and it goes back and forth and back and forth. It's so funny. You know, we really have to have something to talk about, I guess, don't we, Brad, in lieu of the Michael Jackson fiasco ending, correct? Yeah, I mean, what else is left? No, yeah. Didn't he invite you out to Neverland, too, as a matter of fact? He did, but I you know, I told him I was, I think, outside of his uh, age demographic. <laughs> yeah, exactly By right. about 28. Uh, okay, he won't be doing that again if he's smart. Uh, Deanna Myers is going to be with us next week. Deanna is author of Media Trends. She's also a senior analyst at Kagan Research, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, talking with Deanna. In the meantime, we want to send you to the website, theadvertisingshow.com. Got a lot of great stuff on it, including today's show. We'll have that for you in just a little while. And uh, you can also uh, check out some of the past guests we've had as well at The Advertising Show. And I hope to get you back here next week. The Advertising Show brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit them online at adage.com. With Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe, The Advertising Show is a Big Radio Midgets production.